Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Don. Love that song. It's been a few years since I've heard that one. Long ago in Calvary. Would you turn to Isaiah 40, please? Isaiah 40. We looked this morning at the uh, section where um, it foretells of one coming and crying out in the wilderness to prepare a way. And as we come now again, we're going to go move on past verse 5 and verse uh, from verse five into six to seven to eight, and really the rest of the chapter. And a couple have a, I have a couple of ideas I want you to keep in mind as you read. Think about what it's saying about my God, and how do I respond to what it's saying about my God? Too. So I, I see God. I see what he's what it's depicting of God here in Scripture. How am I responding? And then what is it saying about me? All the scripture, what is it saying? What can I take from that? So, you're there. We're going to learn about God. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Let's bow in prayer. We'll begin. Gracious God, by your mercy, you've brought us here. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, we want to see more of you this evening. We want to see your greatness, your power, your strength. Lord, we want to see you as you care for us. So thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you that you've given us everything in your word for life and godliness. Lord, may we take your word, apply it to our hearts. May the power of the Holy Spirit work in us and change us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So after it says in verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, all flesh will see it together, verse 6 says this. A voice says, call out, and then he answered, and some um, transfer, and I answered, what shall I call out? And this is the answer, call out, all flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So if a voice calls out, and we, we are given to understand this is God calling out to the prophet, so cry out, what shall I cry? Well, cry about the grass that withers, the flower that fades. And all people are like that. Mm, that sounds, I'm not sure I want to give that message. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? As you look at this, and you see what we see very first of all in these verses that our humanness, our life, humans are finite. This is going to play into later on, but he establishes right now that we have a finite set of minutes, of hours, of weeks, of days. We're finite. We, we don't exist forever. And the prophet is to call this out, this message, that man is like flesh, and all flesh is grass, temporary, and it withers when God, and notice the capital L-O-L, capital O, capital R, R capital D, Yahweh, when Yahweh's breath blows over it. But in contrast to the temporary nature of man, what dwells, what stands forever, God's word. So he's, as he makes that transition from the calling out, he wants us to understand the temporary nature of man, but the sure, firm 
steadfastness of God's word. As he does so, he's going to set the tone for the rest of the passage, the rest of the chapter, and what the the prophet is to say. This is the eternal God. His word stands forever. So let's continue because there's more. And now we go from the prophet to, uh, say, Jerusalem or Zion, be the one who's telling things out. Verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and do not fear. Now, just stop here a second. So we can read between the lines of this that, that maybe lifting up your voices in this way would cause fear for one. He says, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the, the prophet is asking us through God, or God through the prophet, asking us to look and view God. Here is your God. Here he is. Now, see how it's tying in to the earlier verses. The glory of God shall be revealed. Now, the prophet's going to give some, um, some information that is contemporary for his time after foretelling. But understand, this God, this eternal God, not temporary, eternal God, this one we're called to look at, to see him. 10, behold, the Lord will come with might, with his arm ruling with him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. Notice the contrast, a reward given to faithful recompense could take that as given to those who are unfaithful. But notice this, his arm, power, might. The prophet is saying, our God is a mighty God. Look at God, behold him, notice him, see him, examine him. He is a mighty God. He's eternal God. Let's continue. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock in his arms. He will gather up the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Not only is this mighty God a powerful God, but this God is a gentle shepherd. You ever notice that um, some of the most, uh, I'll put it this way, lethal men I have known, okay, from the standpoint of knowing how to <clears throat> give me bar- bodily harm, have been some of the gentlest men I have known. I had a, a karate instructor, taekwondo instructor, and um, John was so easygoing. Um, easy to get along with, at least for me, and, and of all of his students. In fact, he would get on to us if he caught us picking fights. Okay? He was teaching us some dangerous stuff. He'd get on to us. And, um, but, you know, um, so, you know, the time of, of life when a boy needs to learn like a, something, like a trade or maybe learn how to use his hands. I uh, spent some time in John's wood shop. He, he had a uh, carpentry business at the time. And I made a, a desk shelf. I think for my dad, I think I inherited it. I'm not sure if I, if I, you have one still, and I think I have one. Maybe I stole it back. I'm not sure. We made two. But I learned a man who was very strong and who had the capability, he was a Southeastern champion in Taekwondo, um, was a very gentle man. He did not have to let people know he was strong. Okay? Some of the other karate instructors I know around here are the same way. 
You'd never know. They're kind. They're gentle. See, God does exhibit strength and power. Yes, he does. But that does not mean that he is not gentle. He's not a shepherd. And look at the words. I'll back up the verse a second. Look at the words. Tending his flock. Gathering. Okay, you don't gather lambs with, with, with strong and aggressive motion. You gather them in. Gently leading. This is our God. He's the mighty shepherd. And from this standpoint, if a mighty God, eternal God, a gentle God, he's going to give some more descriptors about God. And I made these into things that you can probably hopefully remember. Um, they made sense to me at the time. Number one, he's the God beyond measure who does measure. Okay? He's the God beyond measure who does take measure. Because he's going to compare himself now that he needs to. This is in verse 12. Look at verse 12. He's asking this. Who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the, by a, by the span? Okay? Who is this one? This is God who's, who in his hand can take up the water. And a span. What are they meaning? A span of the hand? Who of us can measure the heaven with the span of our hand? Who can do this? Um, and calculate the dust of the earth by measure? Who can count the dust? Eh, no, no one. And weigh the mountains in the balance. Who can pick up the mountains and weigh them? Who has the strength? To do this kind of thing. Who can this can do this in the hills in a, in a pair of scales? This God is beyond measure. But look at what he does. Look at the attributes he has. He, he deals with very, very numbers that we could not deal with. But he has all the calculations. He understands. He's very careful and precise and detailed. He understands this. Yet we cannot understand him and the vastness of God. He is a God beyond measure who takes the time and the care to measure things. Think about the passage of the sparrow falling and God knowing. Think about numbering the hairs on our head, the sands of the seashore. All of these things is a God who does carefully and calculated measure and know intuitively of all of these things, yet we understand that he is beyond measure. We cannot quantify God. See, he's making a case for not only an eternal God, a mighty God, a gentle God, but a God that's beyond our measure and comprehension. He's saying he is so large and so beyond our understanding that we're going to have to trust him. Place our faith in him. Okay, next one. The, the God beyond our understanding who understands. Verses 13 through 17. Look at this passage. Let's read this together. So continue the contrast or the, the questions. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor informed him. Who does this remind you of? What passage? Job? Mm-hmm. So the end of the, of the book of Job. God asked Job, where were you when I did all this? God's saying, who's directed the spirit of the Lord, of Yahweh, or his counselors? Who's been a counselor to God? God, let me tell you what to do here. Now, we like to do that, don't we? God, I wish you would do it this way. I wish you'd work it out for me this way. God doesn't need a counselor, verse 14. With whom did he consult? 
and who gave him understanding? Did, did God need someone to say, sit down with him and say, here's how things work? No. He didn't have to consult. He doesn't have to consult with anyone. He doesn't have to gain understanding from anyone. It is within him. This is our God, if we know him. And who has taught him the, in the path of justice? Who has told God what's right and what's wrong? We talked about in our question series that the moral law of God is written in the heart of man. Even when a man does not acknowledge God and will deny that there is a God, there's a moral law written in our, in our, our hearts. And we have a sense of justice, especially when we're faced with injustice. I want my justice. How do we know what's right or what's wrong? If there's no God, there's no objective moral reasoning or morality. So it's all the same. No, this one did not need anyone to teach him justice or knowledge or informed him of the way of understanding. Let's compare him now, since he has the, we understand he's beyond understanding, our understanding, but he understands himself. Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. So compare, to him to, compare God to something that is, that is powerful and mighty. The control of nations. We're in an interesting time in our nation, and indeed in the world. Um, there, there are odd things going on in the world, not necessarily in the U.S., which always happens in the U.S., um, but just different alliances happening within the Middle East. Um, there, there are a lot of things happening, but hold these nations are like a drop in, from the bucket. And they're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. We place a lot of trust as we hear news and hear things going on and this missile launch and this doesn't. And, and God says, you know, they're like a drop in a bucket, a speck of dust on the scale. To our examination, a speck of dust on a scale doesn't move the scale. We, we don't deal in such fine tolerances of dust. Okay? Behold, he lifts up islands as if they were dust. The picture of God. When we look at him as we've been summoned to do, as we look at God, as we say, here is your God, cities of Judah, is a God who understands, but is beyond understanding. He compares it to nations in, in their time. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn. Now, why would you say Lebanon to burn? Well, what did Lebanon have? They had really good trees. The cedars of Lebanon. They imported those trees to, to build uh, David's palace and parts of the temple. Okay? You take all those really good trees and you burn them all. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor is beast enough for a burnt offering, meaning a sacrifice unto God. It's not enough. He is more worthy than everything on earth to give him an offering or sacrifice. It's not enough. And 17, all nations are as nothing before him. They, regard, they are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Stop and think. And the geopolitical quagmire that our nations are God's above it all. Does it affect us? Yes. Does it surprise God? No. When his time is full, he'll take care of all of it. This is our God. 
He is the God that is beyond understanding, and yet he understands to the most minute degree not only the things of nature, not only the things of nations, but the inference here is the things of us. He understands all of this. If he is your God, see your God. Next thing we want to compare to him, the God beyond comparison who compares. I'm not sure why that C is capitalized, but it's okay. The God, that's my fault, by the way. The God beyond comparison who compares. Let's read verse, six, uh, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? That's that comparison part. So just, just what in nature and heaven and realms is like God. Is, does he have any equal? Can you compare him with anyone? And the rhetorical question here is no. But the answer to the rhetorical question is no. There is no one to whom. Or what likeness will you compare him with? Can you think of something so grand and glorious and great that you can say, yeah, that's like God? The answer again is no. But what do men do? Yeah, they do this. As for the, for the idol, a craftsman casts it. So we build up idols or we make idols for ourselves. In this day um, and in our day, people do this. A goldsmith will take and plate over something. If they don't have enough money for pure gold to pour, they'll plate something over with gold, and they'll, or a silversmith will come and, and fashion some idol, some god, little g. They'll fashion to make it, and they'll bow down and worship it. Okay? Something that they have made or they've had someone make for them. And if I don't have any money, then I'll go and whittle something out of a tree. I'll select a tree, you know, a good tree, one that doesn't rot, maybe a cedar from Lebanon. Uh, he'll seek out a skillful craftsman and pay whatever little bit of money to this person to, to make something, to prepare an idol, I love this, that will not totter. <laughs> you know, when you buy your idols, you want to make sure they have level of ground, okay? You don't want them falling over. Remember Philistines? Um, Ark of the Covenant? But notice what we do, okay? And don't laugh at those people because that would do this because we do that. We may not, you know, put a little shrine in the corner and worship something. But we make our own idols of us, of a person sometimes. We worship people. We worship things. I want this. It's my idol. I work for this. We worship position, power, prestige. We create our own idols. As I said many times, an idol, a god of our own making is no god at all. Here it is. Here's this god that is beyond comparison. But when you compare him to other things, you find there's nothing that compares to him. As he finishes this, this part, he says... Do you not know? And this is kind of, read disbelief into the voice, okay? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? And yes, it has. uh, Scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. It's been declared to you, even if you don't want to see it, it's been declared to you that there is a God, and that he is great and powerful and mighty, and he is beyond 
comparison. It's been declared to you. Yes, you have. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? There is something greater than you, something greater than me. There's a God that is greater than all. Yes, you've been told this. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. That was for your flat earth society. He who sits above the circle of the earth. And you know how we are. uh, Somehow I get all the grasshoppers in my yard when I cut the grass. I was like, like, maybe I'll let it go too long. They kind of attack you. But it's the grasshopper. You get on your leg. He hangs on. You you shake your your leg and he flies off. And this is the comparison. Inhabitants are like grasshoppers to him. Okay, like we, we perceive this, same comparison, but this is different. He doesn't treat us like grasshoppers, like we treat grasshoppers, who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Think of the imagery that the, that the prophet is using by the voice of the Lord here. Spreading out the heavens, you think of the vastness of it. Who could, who could do this like a, like a curtain? Like a, t- a tent. Okay. The vast universe, only this God, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. This is a great God. This is a powerful God. He is wonderful. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, verse 23, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. So they rise up, scarcely they have been planted. Scarcely they have been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them with his breath, and they wither. The storm carries them away like stubble. Remind us of the verse above already, 7 and 8. This is our God. So he says, To whom will you liken or compare me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Who is it? Can you, anybody, anybody, anywhere, anything? The God beyond comparison who compares himself for us. He kind of walks us through the the pathway of, is there anything? And we come to the recognition there is no one like God. There's no comparison at all. And it should change our hearts and our lives as we respond as we look at God, as we, we view God, as we, as we see the, the words, here is your God, as we gaze upon him with our spiritual eyes, this God, there's no comparison. Verse 26, lift up your eye on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Imagine that. This is not that you can name a star after someone for $65, okay? This is not it. God understands. He sees. You always hear those commercials at Christmas time. Yes, it's just what my wife wants. I name a star after her. No, not at all. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might, the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. They are there where he places them. When he's done with them, he can extinguish them. This is our God. Beyond compare. Let's keep on going. The God who is all-powerful, but yet gives power or gives strength. So his understanding, his comparison, the God of might and power, of eternal. Now here the God who is all-powerful, everything, 
but he gives of that power. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due to me escapes the notice of my God. A couple of things. They're saying, Jacob, Israel, children of Israel, you don't see what's happening to me. Why, is you, why are you not seeing me? That's what it's saying. Your way is hidden. Okay? My way is hidden, hidden from you. And God, why don't you see what's happening to me? As if he doesn't see. And he said, or I'm not getting the justice that I want or deserve. Okay? That, that's often. My way is hidden or the justice due to me escapes the notice of my God. So, God, why aren't you watching? Why aren't you dealing justly with me like I think you should deal with me? Those are the questions that Israel asked, but we also ask, right? Okay. He answers this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting, we studied Psalm 136. Loving kindness is everlasting. It doesn't stop. It doesn't run out. The everlasting God, the Lord, the Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary. It's I'm, he doesn't. He doesn't just you know. I gotta take a nap. You know, I love it when a, um, the prophet is is taunting the the prophets of Baal. Maybe your gods, you know, they're not burning up the altar and incense. Maybe your gods on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Okay? The creator of the earth does not become weary or tired. Okay? He doesn't need rest as we do. His understanding is inscrutable, is beyond our knowledge, our understanding. This is the God that his way is not, he's not off somewhere and so he doesn't see our path. He does see. Okay? His understanding is beyond our comprehension, our comprehension. So if we don't think that we get the justice we deserve, that he's working something else at that time, and we don't always understand it's beyond finding out the understanding of God. But look at this one who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, who doesn't need a rest, doesn't need to take a, a, a time out. He says, he gives strength to the weary. This all-powerful one gives of his strength. I don't know about you, but this is pretty exciting. This is pretty neat. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. This God is a God of greatness, of power, of might. And he's not just saying, I've got it, and you don't. For his children, for the ones who follow him, he gives strength to the weary. He gives might or increases power to those who are weak. And this is our God. Here, look at your God. See your God. The prophet says, this is who he is. Doesn't stop there. Though the youth grow weary and tired. Sorry, guys. Um, and the vigorous young men stumble badly. Yeah, when you're young, you think you can conquer everything. And then somewhere along the way, things start to hurt when they shouldn't. Ah, you know, you wake up. Yet those who wait on the Lord. The, the earliest point of the, the fallacy of, of trusting in our own strength. Right? But those who wait on the Lord, the idea of waiting is hopeful expectation. There's expectancy to God. It's hope-filled because we have a God in whom we can place our hope and our faith. This one, 
Yet those who wait for Yahweh will gain new strength. New strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And here is the God. The God that is all-powerful gives strength to his own. What a God. Now let's step back. Let's see him as a prophet says, here is your God. Examine him. Look at him. See the greatness of God. Do you understand, is kind of implied in here, do you, do you understand who he is? And let me, let's ask us, do we understand who God is? Or do we bring him down and try to compare him to somebody else or something else? Or do we try to say our understanding is better than God? Or I'll do it myself. I think my strength is greater than God. Or we say, you know, I, I just know better. Now, here is your God. He is great. And when we come face to face with who he is, as he has revealed himself, not only the salvation revealed through Christ, but as he reveals himself in the pages of Scripture, for the believer, it gives us confidence in God. And that is such a crucial point for us, to have confidence in our God, to not go our own way and our own strength, and not to think that we know it all, but to have confidence in God and not another. Sometimes we, place, we try to place our, our strength and dependence on somebody else to, to get us through, but confidence in God. See, the challenge to us as we see God is to have confidence in him. As we see his greatness, to, to, to see him as best as we can in our finite minds as he has revealed himself to us. Secondly, wait expectantly on God. Hopeful expectancy on God. When you see a passage like this, it it reorients our hope, doesn't it? Not on me, not on my ability, not you, your ability, or someone else. Our hope is only found in God, only in him. Like it or not, people will fail us. God will never fail. And for the weary, look to him for strength. Look to him. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high. Lifting up your eyes. See this one who's created the stars. So the question tonight is, have we fallen to the fallacy of comparing God to someone else and kind of bringing God down to another level? Or we see him as he really is, the power and might of God. Do we look and hope on him? It's a beautiful thing to see who our God is, to examine him. When we do so, we don't worry about today. We still, still live in a sin-cursed world, don't we? Because of Adam's sin, Eve's sin, we live in a world that has illness, that has hate and murder and strife and all these things. We do live in that world. One day God will set it all aright, but right now we live in that world 
where do you place your hope? We can worry about things going on, or we can live for God and trust in him, have confidence in him. Not our own, but him. Tonight, I want to challenge you to have confidence in God. He is the mighty God. He is the great God. He is the good and gentle shepherd. He is the God beyond measure who measures out for us. The God beyond understanding who understands us intricately. He's the God beyond comparison who, for our benefit, compares himself to others and they all find wanting. He's a God who's all-powerful and he gives strength to us. Tonight, whether you need understanding, whether you need a gentle shepherd, a great and powerful God, or just strength to live for tomorrow, it's found in God and God alone. Look, lift up your eyes, see your God. He's without comparison. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, I thank you that you are God Overall, Thank you that in this passage you not only proclaim the salvation that would come, that has already come for us, but you've proclaimed yourself as the one who orders that salvation, who is from the beginning, the foundation of the earth, we're told, who's prepared for us and ordained. So thank you, God, that you have brought salvation to the world through Jesus. Thank you that you're overall and we can trust you in all. And Lord, may we have confidence in you and not another. May we hope in you and not in ourselves. May we seek you for strength and not in our own poor, weak self. May you be glorified through us. May the glory that's been revealed in Christ spill over from us, we who know Christ. And may we live out each day with the glory of God, the love of God, the compassion of Christ in our lives for others to see. And may you, may you be glorified. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let you.